Hello there. This is Tracy Stanley. I'm here with my co-author, Barbara Wilson. And today we're having a conversation around groupthink. Hello there, Barbara. Hi, Tracy. How are you? Good, thanks. I'm good. Um, so today we're going to talk about groupthink, which is a phenomenon that happens in all sorts of institutions around the world. Barbara, I wonder if you could share with us some insights about what groupthink is and how, how it manifests itself, how we can see that it's happening. Okay, well, groupthink is it's a kind of um, mode of thinking that groups, <laughs> groups get into. When a group becomes very cohesive, so when it really clicks together as a group, um, people start to um, think in, the same, in a similar way. People also, while doing that, stop challenging each other because everybody believes in what the common prevailing view is, the prevailing perception. So it, it leads to kind of people following on the same path without offering any opinions or any facts that might challenge the way that the group is going, the way that the group is thinking. And why would people choose to do that? I don't think it's a choice. I think it just happens. Yeah. So groups, when they form, initially when a group forms, then you've got all this kind of initial, if it's a new group, you've got these, these sort of stages of group formation that people go through. When a group settles down and it starts to become a cohesive group, um, it's already sorted its kind of values out. It's sorted its, its um, the way it operates out. So mm -hmm. that it becomes um, very, very cohesive, mm -hmm. uh, which initially makes it usually a very successful group. Yeah. And therein also lies the danger. Mm -hmm. Because once the group has been successful and it's developed its way of working, then it often becomes blindly, blind to any alternative path to follow. Okay. So, it's, uh, it, uh, so initially, I'd say... It's not something that they choose to do. It's a, a psychological phenomenon that, that, that happens. Yeah. In the same way as people develop attitudes, yeah. we don't generally decide to, well, I'll take on this attitude. It's something that our thinking, through our thinking, develops. Through our thinking, through our socialization, it develops. And in a way, groupthink is the same. It's, it's something that develops within groups. Okay. Um, let us talk about creativity in the context for creativity. So when you've got group think, what impact does that have upon creativity in a team? Well, to some extent, um, it really stifles creativity. I think that the biggest thing there is that um, uh, often when there is group think, there's a lack of diversity in thinking. And that usually comes about because there's a lack of diversity in the group. So one of the reasons why groups become cohesive and develop groupthink is because they've um, inevitably been a, a, um, a very similar group, a set of people who come together who are all from a similar background. Um, in organizations, often you see this might be a typical white male, Oxbridge educated, that, that kind of um, set of people who may be at the top of an organization in the UK, for example. Yeah. And so with that, that sort of group, they may have probably um, studied the same topics even at university. When you get that type of group, 
then they start thinking the same. There's, there's a lack of diversity in their thinking because there's a lack of diversity in them uh, as, as, as people. Mm -hmm. So in terms of creativity then, if there's no diversity, there's, no, there's probably going to be no challenge. Mm -hmm. I say probably because none of this is black and white. It's yeah. None of it is, is set in, in stone. Um, however, generally, um, there'll be a lack of challenge to any of the, the decisions that are being made. So decisions may be taken by leaders and people will support those decisions because people think in a similar way. So encouraging greater diversity of sort of from background, from ethnicity, from thinking style, will actually bring different thinking around ideas and will be a bit of a conduit to groupthink. What are some other things that, say, a manager in an organisation can do to make sure he doesn't create, he or she doesn't create a culture of um, groupthink in their team? Well, there are there are several things really. I'd, I'd suggest um, the first is to have a, a to create a culture in an organisation where people feel safe to question. Mm -hmm. um, I've. Um, I don't know if I can quote this, um, this quotation that I came across recently by Jeremy Haywood, yeah. but I think this sums it up um, quite well. When he was giving evidence into the inquiry into the Iraq war in the UK, and he said to the um, UK members of parliament, do you have a culture in which senior officials, ministers, and external experts feel it's possible to offer an alternative view to the prevailing wisdom, so to avoid groupthink. Mm -hmm. So my question would be there to, to organisations, to avoid groupthink, have they created a culture in which people can question, okay. in which people can challenge assumptions? So that's, that's the first thing. It's, it's that culture, is it an open culture in which people can feel free, uh, they don't feel threatened in any way if they try and... Um, offer uh, an alternative view. Um, the second we've talked about is, is to uh, ensure that there's diversity. And the third is, is probably to encourage processes to yeah. enable assumptions to be challenged. One of the processes that I've particularly liked and, and worked with in the past was um, about really thinking about the, um, the learning that we've got from things that have happened to the team or happened in the team. So the, the, the examples that came out of the whole learning organization movement in the, the 80s was about setting up a time for the team to reflect, okay, what have we learned from our yeah. action? What have we learned from this project? You know, project reviews. What's, yeah. What went wrong or when it did, went, and when it went wrong, why did it go wrong? You know, what's worked well and why has it worked well? So what can we do differently next time? Just, you know, sometimes three simple questions. What's worked? What hasn't worked? What can we do differently? Yeah. Kind of thing that I've, I've done, you know, whenever I've been training or, or, or teaching at the end of courses. So just developing, introducing those kind of processes so that you can challenge the assumptions as a team can help. Okay, some great lessons there. So just sort of to recap, you know, about creating a culture where it's safe to ask questions and as a part mm -hmm. of asking questions you could be challenging assumptions on which decisions are being made 
um, yep. talked about diversity already and the importance of having diverse voices um, around the table and in the team and processes. And I, I think that the project reviews you were talking about are, are kind of similar to, I think, what the military used to have as action reviews. Yes. Um, Yes, yeah. Well, as I said, they, at the end of any project, whether it was successful or not successful, you know, so celebrate what went well and what we need to do more of, you know, what didn't go well um, and what we might could have done differently with a different outcome. Um, yeah. Linking into, um, I guess, so Peter Sengi was the person who started talking about this learning organisation. If, yes. yeah. if you build a culture of constantly saying, how's it going, what are we learning, then when you challenge assumptions, it's not going to be a new behaviour. It's actually going to be a part of the, um, that team or that organisation's culture. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's quite hard to do. <laughs> I've worked <laughs> in an organisation I worked in. We, we didn't work with, we worked with um, a, a British group of people who were, um, I suppose, emulating the, uh, the learning, the Peter Senge's um, view of the learning organisation. Yeah. But we were actually in a pilot scheme to do this. And, yeah. um, but the resistance to it was enormous, like any culture change, really, because it did require a culture change um, to, to share and to be open enough to, to admit mistakes. Yeah. So it, isn't, it isn't always the managers and the leaders are the problem. It's yeah. often the people in the team who um, don't want to, to really look at themselves or don't want to have that open discussion about what's gone wrong. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think that's an important issue as well, not to just blame the leaders. Yeah. But, to, but of course, if the leaders have um, developed their teams so that there is a, a, an openness and a lack of fear around ac accepting mistakes or admitting mistakes, then, um, you know, that, that's not necessarily going to happen. And I'm right, Barbara, I understand you've written an article uh, about just summarising some of these thoughts around... Um, assumptions and groupthink and, and mindset and um, I guess we can provide a link to that with the podcast today. Yes, uh, yes, it's a blog post that's going to go out um, later this week in fact. On um, So it, it's following up previous blogs I've written on mindsets. Um, I think I've, I've also written a previous one on groupthink but it's bringing together the two concepts looking um, looking at the the symptoms of how do you recognize groupthink in an organization yeah. and then some ideas the sort of ideas we've been discussing around um, what can you do to uh, you know ensure it doesn't happen in the future or, or ensure that you you don't have you know you don't have groupthink so yes, that, that will be uh, that will be good to have that link. Okay, well that's great. I think I think this is um, I think we'll wrap that up there, Barbara. Um, thank you for those insights, and um, thank you, listeners, for tuning in today. Okay, thank you, Tracy. Talk again soon, Barbara. Bye.